Well, well, hello folks and welcome to We The Peeps. Uh, this is the American Soccer Podcast in which you, my friend, are going to get to know everything that you need to know about the U.S. national team. And in this case, it's She The Peeps time, baby. I'm Clayton and I'm a rapper. I'm Kwame. I'm a doctor. And we love the Nets. Kwame's the, the soccer doctor, as we found out on the last episode. That's right. I've uh, expanded my practice. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people. Is your website a headache for your organization? A slow or hard-to-use website drives customers away, but Cantilever can help. Our dedicated support department can act as your in-house team, handling everything from system upgrades to speed improvements to major design changes. We've been in business since 2011 and have maintained sites for clients like IBM, Esquire Magazine, and Flatiron School. You can access Cantilever's top-notch design and development talent without the cost and overhead of a full-time hire. Plans start at just $2,000 a year and are customized to suit your needs and budget. To get started with Cantilever, visit cantilever.co slash WTP. That's cantilever.co slash Whiskey Tango Papa. Well, folks, welcome on in. That was a tight one. That was tight. Everyone's been holding their breaths for that whole game, but we made it through and we're here today. Kwame has uh, graciously joined us uh, and provided his presence to talk about this here, game versus Spain, U.S. women's national team, the elites, in the round of 16 versus Spain. It was a good one if you missed it. Um, but real quick, as per usual, I would uh, I th- feel like it's worth mentioning that uh, if it's your first time joining us, you may as well hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything because subscribe, subscribe. shit's about to get real uh, with this team and this tournament. And we'll be there every step of the way. If you enjoy the show and have been enjoying it and uh, would like to help us out, you know, one way you can do that is just to rate us and review us with five stars. And if you do that, you might have your review read on the show. Uh, So do it. Uh, It helps us out a lot. And lastly, if you're interested in uh, interacting with us in between sods, why not just uh, reach out to us on Twitter at WTP Pod? That's Wilbur Tango Pizza Pod. End of housekeeping. So, folks, without further ado, let's dive in to this one. Kwame, you feeling good? Uh, I am feeling happy that we won. Uh, a little shaky and full of adrenaline, but uh, yeah, we're, this is the World Cup. <laughs> this is what it, this is what World Cups are made of. This shit was tense, folks. The game would end 2-1 in favor of our good Nats. Uh, But it was not an easy road to get there by any means. Uh, Spain came out quick, technical, looked looked strong and effective from the get-go. But the U.S. would sneak a goal. If you tuned in late, you missed it. It was six minutes in. Tobin Heath draws a foul on some dribbly dribs. One on two. And... uh, Went and, and earned herself a penalty kick, which, of course, would go to the number one penalty kick taker to be debated later, uh, Megan Rapino, who slotted this one away left side, no problem. Cold as ice, ice in her veins, ice in her hair, in her pink, shiny hair, and ice in those veins. 
uh, one up to the U.S., but don't get comfortable because just a few minutes later, Spain would tag us back off of a uh, Becky Sauerbrunn mishap there in the back. Oh, I did forget to mention, if I can just uh, backtrack one second, that it was, of course, the starting lineup you've come to know and love from this team. Uh, same lineup as last time with the ATM attacking strike force. Uh, but uh, instead of uh, Lindsey Horan, it was Julie Ertz out there, switching out Ertz for Horan. So anyways, uh, about 10 minutes into this game, we're drawed up, all tied up, 1-1. Off a nice finish after that Becky Sauerbrunn mistake. It was not, uh, it was not a, an, an, an automatic goal where, where Spain picked it up. Uh, no, and, it was a nice finish. It was a bad giveaway, but a nice finish. Yeah. So, so the game would progress at, in this manner for what felt like weeks on end of just the tensest goal, open goal scrambles on both sides. And finally, the U.S. would pull ahead, but not necessarily in the run of play. It was, uh, it was, it was looking like anyone's game until uh, one Rose Lavelle. Uh, earned herself a penalty kick, and uh, Alex Morgan, a bruised and battered Alex Morgan, who had been attacked in all kinds of extracurricular ways throughout the game, and basically fouled out of this game, stepped up to take this penalty kick. VAR would then have have a fucking field day with this shit, as they do, and about uh, apparently seven minutes later... Uh, we would eventually see the penalty kick, and this time it was Megan Rapino stepping up uh, to the spot, which was a bit of a surprise, but later we basically found out that essentially uh, Ellis was like, asked Rapino, did you, did you give Alex that penalty kick? Rapino says, yes, I did. Uh, I, assume, I assume because she felt like Alex Morgan earned it, which is true, uh, mm-hmm. over, over the course of the night. And of course, uh, Ellis was like, actually, I'd like for you to take the penalty kick, as was the game's plan uh, from the start. You take the penalty kicks. So Megan Rapino took it, put it away, same spot. And uh, then we just sweat this one out. There were a few corner time-wasting moments, and the U.S. would win, but it was a grind and a half. Uh, Kwame, what were your first impressions coming off the, the final whistle? Well, uh, you know, it was a hard-fought uh, match. Uh, I think I said in the last episode as a preview that Spain were really technical and uh, and had good possession and a lot of skilled players, but struggled to score. Uh, we really helped them out in the beginning. <laughs> but I will say that also throughout the game, they were more dangerous than I expected. And we were, uh, I think, creakier than... Uh, than I expected um, that uh, they had the ball and put us in dangerous situations uh, a number of times. Uh, it would not have been a surprise if they had scored from the run of play. And I thought that, you know, the fact that, um, you know, we scored on two penalties, but I, I'm struggling to think of the number of other really good opportunities uh, that we created against Spain. Uh, I think we really struggled to create. Uh, and so it was, a, you know, it was a tooth and nails game against a really good team that came in with a plan and had a number of uh, tactical approaches and wanted to win as badly as we did. Uh, and we managed to come out on top. Uh, I thought Somehow. that, uh, as you said, yeah, I thought, as you, you know, Alex Morgan... 
she got knocked to the ground a bunch. Uh, she got fouled a lot by the uh, by Spain's captain, their central defender, but a lot of other players as well. Uh, I thought from the beginning, um, you know, she looked pretty sore. Um, and I think just sort of got more sore uh, as the game went. And I think that that affected her explosiveness and um, and uh, some of the times where we would normally have tried to connect play um, or crosses that went to her. She couldn't quite get there. Um, but the U.S. seemed know, like they were catching up a little bit this whole game. From, from the broadcast, it sounded like there was this, a, a tactical surprise from the Spanish side. You know, it, it certainly seemed like Ali Wagner um, was talking about uh, changes in how Spain decided to press and when they decided to press and uh, how they decided to attack, um, whether they were in like a 4-5-1 or a 5-4-1. They seemed to be attacking with long balls, um, going more direct than, than we might expect. Uh, they often isolated Crystal Dunn. Um, with Garcia, who I think was their speediest player on their right side, our left, uh, and really opened us up a bunch of times. Um, a few times, Crystal Dunn got caught out of position. A few times, I think she lost the player over her back shoulder. Um, and I think also uh, she didn't get much help. Uh, I think one of the reasons that they attacked that side was not necessarily because Crystal Dunn isn't a good one-on-one defender, but because Rapino, um, of Heath and Rapino, Rapino is the less likely to track all the way back and, and help defensively. Uh, and so Dunn was a little less supported. So I was, um, you know, I was definitely nervous throughout a bunch of the game. I also was really irritated at uh, JP Della Camera, who kept insisting that being tied with Spain was a shock and, uh, you know, we were just supposed to roll over this and, you know, we should automatically be in the next game with, with France. And uh, that's just so wrong. I, I, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's a very seasoned announcer and he's covered this team a lot, but no one should have thought that this was going to be an easy game. I mean, even just, even just when we played, we played Spain like six months ago and we beat them one nothing, and it was not an easy game. Uh, so I don't know why there was this expectation that magically it would be an easy game because it's the World Cup. And so all of a sudden teams aren't going to fight us harder. I so Yeah, it wasn't uh, or it, have improved. It wasn't the only uh, sort of old school soccer perception he revealed of his on the mm-hmm. night. He also, upon hearing that there was seven minutes added time at the end of this game due to a very long VAR pause... Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, seems a little long. And I was yeah. sitting there being like, nice. Like I, as, as, uh, as we've mentioned a little bit on this show, it's the appropriate amount of extra time is almost always more than what's really given. And old world soccer rules are two or three minutes, five minutes. If it was incredible amounts of stoppages mm-hmm. and never more than that. And, and that's silly. But anyways, on the night, uh, we did see some, some, uh, really incredible play once again from Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle, who both yeah. continue to show us that the next generation is is bright as as a as as a uh, bright as something real bright. It's bright, uh, and and they they're just absolutely 
kicking ass, slanging passes out there. Megan Rapino, meanwhile, had yet another kind of anonymous game. We mentioned Alex Morgan. I thought Tobin Heath looked good, but it did seem a surprise that the subs came as late as they did. Um, yeah, so Kwame, what was your, uh, how'd you feel about uh, Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle tonight? Uh, same page? Yeah, I would agree. I thought that uh, Rose Lavelle, I thought this was her best game. I thought she was the player that Spain had the hardest time with. Uh, they couldn't, they really struggled to get the ball off of her a lot of the time. And there were several really great passes um, that she had to uh, Rapino and to Heath. Mewis, I thought, also had a really strong game uh i thought that there where she struggled actually was there were times where she i think deferred a little bit to rapino and there were times where she could have uh continued on to the goal herself or passed the ball to rapino and uh i thought it was on a little bit more for her to continue um so i thought that that that's the one uh i think that's one of the few critiques i would have from us today uh was you know take it yourself uh and uh you know that that there's more pressure coming from her down the middle than rapino and heath on the sides and i agree you know rapino scored two penalty kicks and those are pressure moments definitely and uh she should get a lot of credit for that but the way the u.s attack is set up you know rapino and heath are pushed so wide and so far forward and really isolated uh it's hard for them to combine uh with other players um in you know in close like one twos um and uh harder to combine with alex morgan uh they can do it but it's a little harder than if they were if they were closer and so because they're so isolated the attack is really predicated on them being able to take on their defenders one-on-one um, and beat them or put pressure on them or stretch the defense. And they've been struggling to do that. I think Rapino has kind of been leaving the ball behind her uh, a few times. Um, not really. Uh, she had a big battle with uh, the Spain right back. They actually exchanged jerseys at the end of the game. Uh, and that was a good toe-to-toe battle. But, you know, but she, she didn't win a lot of those, um, of those battles. Heath, I thought, um, did uh was a little more effective but also at times uh was sort of drifted out of the game and and we didn't find them as easily yeah so uh, i was clamoring for a, a Kristen press sub potentially even at mm-hmm. halftime in this game am i crazy for to, to bring press in for rapino uh i mean you're not crazy i don't think that we would do that i think um ellis Ellis, I think, um, is going to give Rapino a lot of leeway as the captain, as, you know, an important figure. And when she is on and when she is creating, uh, she's extremely dangerous, both creating a shot for herself and creating it for other people. Uh, I do think that maybe, um, I think maybe Alex Morgan could have been subbed out earlier uh, in part because she was taking such a beating uh, and in part because maybe, you know, we needed a little bit of a different wrinkle. Um, when Carly Lloyd did come in, I wasn't sure that that was the right substitution. Who would you have put in instead of Carly? You know, I wonder about putting in Jess McDonald. 
Um, I think that this was a game where Spain's back line um, was coming to scrap, and they were very physical with our center forward, um, and they weren't as worried as her stretching them, um, making runs behind, I think in part because she was a little nicked up. And I wonder how Jess McDonald coming in as a physical presence, as someone dominant in the air, as someone who is going to run at them and, uh, you know, put a little fear in them and someone who they probably wouldn't have known so much about. Uh, I think Carly Lloyd, when she came in again, I think Carly Lloyd is best in smaller spaces, as we sort of talked about before. I think she's best uh, combining uh, with other other teammates. Uh, and when you put her in a lot of space in a game like this, I mean, it's not as if she's going to struggle necessarily. But I don't think you're, I don't think you're necessarily playing to her strength. Right. Uh, I also wonder too a little bit about what if you know tactically, what if we didn't push Heath and Rapino so wide, what if we brought them in a little bit and allowed them to combine a little bit more? Um, yeah, and perhaps in that know, case, letting Crystal Dunn and Kelly O'Hara overlap more? Right. I, I don't think O'Hara overlapped, I mean, maybe a couple of times, but even then, it wasn't so much like an overlap. There were times where she got into the attack, but it wasn't so much of an overlap. Same with Crystal Dunn. I think there were very few times and when it did it sort of almost was coming out of a breakdown. And I thought that that might be another way to attack on the width, which is what we were trying to do and was, was the area we did have to attack Spain. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're still not firing um, 100%, but I do think, again, our strength is in our midfield. Um, Apparently. Yeah, it's incredible how well they're playing. Apparently. Uh, I wasn't what did, I wasn't so sure how good a game Ertz had. Um, I thought you could, yeah, you could really see the difference between Ertz and Haran's technical mm-hmm. ability, I think, in this game. Mm-hmm. Ertz, you know, always strong defensively, always, always very present uh, physically, which was important in this game, and definitely has that over Haran, but when you think about what Haran can do in in those tight transition moments and mm-hmm. make making those really quick crisp passes around the field i think i think that could potentially have have helped i think a little bit more technical ability in the midfield and more physical ability i love mm-hmm. your pick of mcdonald in the in the striker position would have changed the balance of this game for sure um, I, yeah. I gotta say, it's getting to a point where it's hard to see Morgan having a great tournament at this point. Uh, she she had the five goals in her first game, didn't play, then didn't score and didn't score, and got subbed off the field twice. Um, she she didn't come out looking strong, and she she came off the field looking even more battered than she started. Well, I think you know it's hard to know it's hard to know what's going on with her physically. Uh, she definitely, I mean, she definitely doesn't look 100%. Um, but is that, you know, I'm just, is that she tweaked something or that, you know, her whole like right leg is bruised, you know, or, um, or you know, it's hard to know exactly what, what the matter is. But she doesn't look as fresh 
or as explosive um, as as we would like. Um, but because we don't really, you know, because we don't really know what it is, I think, you know, it's also hard for us to say what, um, you know, what sort of recovery might be needed. Um, and she definitely is as tough as nails. Uh, so I, I would, seeing how the game was going, I really would have liked to have seen her come out earlier than she did, because I think she took two or three extra kind of kicks and, you know, um, being knocked to the ground that, uh, you know, that she didn't, she didn't need, uh, to take, um, you know, there's no way to protect her entirely. And I do think that the ref didn't do a very good job of protecting her. Yeah. Um, The yellow should have come a lot earlier. Um, is it possible that, and this, this is uh, blasphemous. I, I realize that, but is it possible that Alex Morgan is in this zone, this pocket of notoriety where she is famous enough and has been playing with this team enough to to have a a, a big you know goal tally um that but so so she's being game planned for but she doesn't she maybe isn't at the superstar level of someone who can occasionally overcome those game plans against good teams uh that's the sense i get but you've been with this team uh, you've been watching this team a little bit longer than me is it the case that Maybe her her fame and notoriety outsize her actual talent by a little bit. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, but I would I would say that Alex Morgan, in my view, is um, is she's not a. Um, I'm just trying to think about her skill set. She's not like a, a messy or like a. Um, you know, she's not like a Messi or like a Neymar or like an Mbappe. I think she's more like, um, you know, she's more like a, a Sergio Aguero or like an yeah, Alan Shearer. I, I was going to say right? Fernando Torres. Yeah. Mm, no, Fernando Torres. And also, you know, uh, as a Liverpool fan, but Fernando, <laughs> Fernando Torres at the peak of his powers, I think is, uh, you know, is pretty untouchable as a as a striker. But uh, But Alex Morgan... Her, you know, she is a goal scorer um, and she can do that in a number of different ways. Um, but really, her strength is kind of like around the box and figuring out ways to score goals in, in that kind of uh, sort of uh, hard to describe sort of ineluctable kind of characteristic that sometimes great scorers have. Like they know where to show up. They know where to be. Right. Um, you know, they sort of get that space. And I will say it did take me a while to to clue into that about Alex Morgan for a long time or early part of her career. I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't see it as much, but, you know, having watched over the years, you know, it's clearer to me now, but I do think that, um, you know, if a, if a team is, um, if a team is set up to not really let her run in behind to sort of knock her down and she's also isolated, um, uh, Sometimes the ball would come into her feet and there weren't really people around for her to uh, quickly connect with. She is pretty good with her back to goal and laying laying the ball off for people. But we don't really have people all that close yeah. to her. And so I think she's I think she's struggling a little bit. The service hasn't been, uh, yeah, I think, all that great. And it's also worth noticing that, you know, she played a major role in the U.S. winning this game. Uh, the goals... Mm-hmm. 
that we did get came at moments when people were thinking about Alex Morgan and someone else mm-hmm. was threatening in the form of Rose Lavelle and Tobin Heath. Um, so, and, and the fact that there was clearly a Spanish plan to mark her and foul her out of this mm-hmm. game takes away from their ability to deal with our other threats. So her, even just in, in, in that fact itself, she, she's crucial for a win like this. Uh, but it's not a glamorous position to be in, and she definitely she definitely deserves um, you know her she deserves like a, a round of applause for that because she's not on the score sheet she didn't get to take that penalty kick and yet she she fought her way through this and we won this game and I don't think this game looks the same uh, with a different striker at the end of the day even though I was totally just uh, tiptoeing around a blasphemous yeah. theory about her um, so Kwame before we look. Uh, before we go into talking about some of the other games that are going on, is there anything else from this uh, USA Spain match that you want to touch on? Well, we you know we didn't really we didn't really talk about the defense and the goal we gave up. Uh, touched on it briefly. Truth, yeah, Kwame. Uh, in 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 build up to this tournament, I asked Kwame what is going to be the difference between the U.S. taking this cup home and not. And Kwame may as well have said that thing that just happened with Becky Sauerbrunn. It is defensive errors, and we saw yeah. them. So how? How how what's your uh how bad is this? Are you how bad is this on the scale of alarms? Is this like pull the fire alarm or is this like page the school type situation? Well, I don't know which of those is worse. So <laughs> um, I uh, what I would say is you know that was a bad giveaway. Um, uh, Sauerbrunn, I think, is mostly to blame because of a, a poor touch and, and response. But I'll also say that although it was, you know, not a bad pass by Nair necessarily, it also was, in, in my view, exactly where Spain wanted her to play the ball. It wasn't a great pass. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, 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 wasn't, it, it wasn't a pass that gave us a, a sort of clear advantage so I, was, yeah. I wasn't sure i wasn't sure why she played the ball yeah. there because it was sort of the highest risk without much reward it was also one of those situations where like you know a good that was a very good solid finish um but a mm-hmm. great goalkeeper you know uh, someone like uh the chilean goalkeeper endler or perhaps vintage hope solo might just tip that mm-hmm. one over the bar I think th- I think that's a little harsh. I think she was pretty far off of her line, uh, and that that ball was kind of looped and sort of nestled in the top right corner. I think I think the the, the TV angles sort of betray her a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that perhaps, you know, perhaps um, she could have reacted and either gone back, you know, gotten back to her line a little faster. But even that is pretty hard because I think. Uh, I think, you know, if you're scrambling backwards, if the shot comes in, you know, it's tough to react. So I think the, I think it's more forcing. Yeah, that's my opinion. I think she kind of. Yeah, maybe that is unfair. But, but, you know, this was the first game we've seen her really tested. We saw her come up with a few aerial clearances. We saw her come up with like a couple light saves or maybe not even so much saves as like interrupting passes uh to the mm-hmm. to the final finish um what was wh- how are you feeling about Alyssa Nair at this point going into the remainder of the tournament um I think the way I felt um pretty much all along I think that she is a very 
good, well-rounded keeper, um, but she has her shaky moments, and I don't think she's the best with her feet. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced that she's, although she's a very good goalkeeper, I'm not convinced that she's the best goalkeeper um, in our pool, but she's the one that uh, Coach Ellis has gone with. Um, and, you know, it's hard to be critical of that choice uh, without, you know, being in the practice field, except to say that I don't think that she necessarily gave her, Ellis gave herself a lot of uh, game time with other keepers in which to sort of measure them against each other. It seems yeah. like a lot of her judgment was based on, um, you know, on practices rather than rather than games. But that aside, the one thing I will say that, that did trouble me actually a little bit rather than any sort of um, any sort of shakiness and she, was that there did seem to be times where the communication was not so great um, between her and uh, Sauerbrunn, I think in particular, um, there were some moments of hesitation um, and whether that's, and they've played together a lot. So there's a lot of familiarity. So maybe that's nerves uh, coming in a little bit uh, that, so the, the back line, I would say that this was the, the game where the back line uh, worried me the most. Um, we did seem to get exposed um several times as i said before on our left crystal dunn's side um and not just when there were mistakes but when uh when they had numbers there and we seemed to have difficulty kind of passing runners off tracking runners yeah and that, uh, that the way to it the way that spain attacks right there's a few ways you can do it you can like streak around the the this the outsides and get crosses in that's not a great way to beat the u.s you can try to like get some some counterattacks going through the middle. That's slightly better. But maybe the best way to get this backline to look bad is what Spain did today, which is like to to passy 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 right before you get to the final third and just kind of suck people suck people out of that backline. We saw that a lot. Mm, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think they had a pretty effective. Uh plan of attack and uh you know if they had maybe a, a better if they had more speed on the front line or a better you know sort of number nine uh then you know possibly we could have been in a little more trouble so yeah i agree and it also last thing on the defense is it it really the difference between crystal dunn and kelly o'hara really showed in this game there were a few plays like when it goes to Kelly O'Hara's side, that shit's getting wrapped up. End of discussion. Um, I mean, I think O'Hara had a pretty solid game. I think she was also challenged a lot, a lot less. Um, they came down her side uh, a lot less, at least to my, at least to my recollection. Um, I mean, O'Hara is someone who has been playing defense uh, a lot longer and has a different skill set um so you know in some ways it's not surprising but um yeah that there there was you know there certainly was a disparity in in how they attacked um i mean and i think dunn didn't necessarily have the greatest didn't have the greatest day um so worrying you know we've been worrying about the defensive line all along uh, we've been saying that this is an attack oriented team all along, and uh, you know, today I think was simply more proof of that and a harder test of both our defense and our attack.
Sure was, and we're just getting going. We're about to ramp up to our to the to the game that everyone keeps talking about, even JP Della Camera during a game versus Spain. The game versus France on Friday. Uh, but before we talk about that, let's go around. around. Kwame, I myself am a uh, am a. I got my blinders on. I got my U.S. fan blinders on. Uh, can you just uh, fill me in a little bit on what's been going around? Uh, what's been going on around this tournament? Yeah, so you know we're in the knockout stages, and we've had a number of good, really tense uh, games. Uh, Australia was uh, eliminated by Norway. Um, the game went to penalty kicks. Uh, Sam Kerr was one of the penalty takers and and missed really badly. Uh, France um, beat Brazil um, also in extra time, uh, two to one. Uh, Brazil really gave France everything they could handle and uh, a couple times came pretty close to going ahead in extra time. France looked really nervy, um, but like the U.S., uh, came out with a 2-1 victory. Um, Sweden beat Canada today, um, 1-0. Sweden, um, this keeper for Sweden saved a penalty kick uh, late in regular time to preserve a one nothing victory for Sweden. Um, and uh, in a much talked about um, and uh, controversial game, uh, England um, beat Cameroon uh, three to nothing. Uh, and there's a lot that I'd like to talk about with that game, um, but also, um, you know, this might be also be a good place to pause and talk about uh, VAR, V-A-R, uh, which has certainly been a big talking point of the World Cup thus far. Uh, we've touched on it a little bit, um, but I don't think we've taken necessarily a bird's eye view of, of VAR, and maybe now is a good yeah, time to so do so. Yeah, so VAR has been making its way into the game uh, for the for the mega cash fan, the the which some of you, many people out there really are, and that's that's great. We love you. Well, welcome in. Um, this may be your first VAR experience, uh, and and so it's it's existed now in the in the men's World Cup uh, as well as like the Champions League, and uh, it's it, it began with these sort of test runs in smaller leagues and tournaments, and it's been increasingly depended on. And uh, some of these pauses that we're seeing are. are pretty long and it's a it's one of the more substantial it's probably the most substantial shift i've seen in the game of soccer uh since i was a kid so uh kwame how have you been feeling about the utilization of var in this tournament well i think as we've said before they've been consistent with it but i think that the big problem is that as you said there's there's been a big shift they've implemented var in more substantial and dramatic ways in this World Cup, in the Women's World Cup, um, and with very little preparation. Um, and it's caught a lot of people by surprise um, because things are being penalized and judged and caught and reviewed um, in minute detail in ways that people haven't ever really experienced before. Um, you know, offsides rule, um, you know, appears that down to the you know down to the centimeter um uh people are being judged onside or offside uh, where before 
Yeah, it used to be, yes, there used to be tie goes to the attacker and there are things that were too close for the human eye to, to call. And now, um, you know, now they are being, they are, now they are being called. Uh, I would say the biggest and most egregious uh, example of VAR being a big change has been on penalty kicks. So um, there was a, there's been a rule um, that technically on penalty kicks, and this has always been the rule, that on penalty kicks, the goalkeeper has to have one foot on the line when the ball is struck. Uh, now, that is a rule that is never followed. It's never followed. It's never enforced. Um, generally speaking, uh, goalkeepers anticipate the shot being taken and step forward, you know, a yard, a meter, depending on which system you like to use, uh, to cut down the angle and improve their chances of saving the shot. And uh, it's just never, it's just never penalized. So in March, uh, there was an edict that came down that said that uh, moving forward, uh, starting in June, uh, that Goal, like goalkeepers leaving the goal line would be enforced by video review. And if goalkeepers left early, they would receive a yellow card. So they announced that in March, straight up yellow. So they announced that in March, but the law didn't go into effect until seven days before the tournament started. So nobody playing in this tournament has experienced that rule. And so what you had was a number of goalkeepers who have trained for to save penalty kicks a particular way for, you know, 20 years, uh, in some cases, 20, 30 years, right? Because you sometimes have goalkeepers in their, you know, in their 30s, um, trained a particular way to save penalty kicks, which is really hard to do anyways. And now... In the biggest moment of their sporting career, something they've trained for years for, you're saying, okay, no, no, no. In this, the highest pressure moment there is in a soccer match, do it a completely different way. And if you do it the way you've trained for decades, you're going to be penalized and getting a yellow card and they're going to have to retake it. And then if you do it again, you'll get another yellow card and you'll be kicked out of the match, right? So it's, it's really affected a number of games and it's really... Uh, it's really insulting in a number of ways to implement it in this way, right? To implement such a stringent criteria, such an overbearing ruling um, without giving these players any time to adjust and adapt uh, to the way this rule is being enforced. Uh, and, you know, so that's, that's I think, the, the biggest example. I think we've also seen more, um, you know, we've also seen more penalty kicks um than other tournaments i can remember i think var is part of that um part of that is the way that they're judging the the um handballs that the way that the handball legend laws are led are written down um if you have video assistant review you're going to catch more penalty kicks because i don't particularly like the way that the law is written and so it's exposing the fact that the handball penalty kick law is too broadly written and, and so everything, we're, there's a theme here, right? There's the offsides calls, there's the handball calls, there's the goal on the line calls. 
And these are all examples of rules that were written in a world where human beings are making this judgment with their eyes in real time. And we had, you know, at, at least 50 years to kind of craft a set of reporting that got us entertainment, entertaining games up to this point. Now, all of a sudden, there is the eye of Sauron on this fucking game we love so much. And all these rules are being enforced to the, to the nth degree. My, my stance on this is essentially that this is ultimately a good thing. Um, and that the rules will be written to fit the new situation. I also think that things will get a lot smoother with the way in which video review is is utilized. Uh, and I, you know, one example of that is that even just in the in the year and a half or however long it's been since VAR became a real thing, we've seen this. There, there, there is this edict, this idea that it should, it should a, a play should only be overturned if it's clear and obvious. And when VAR first started getting used, there were all kinds of not clear and obvious situations that were getting overturned, and that has subsided and settled down over time. Where I think the the refereeing culture has wrapped their brains around this idea of clear and obvious when looking at a slow motion replay and what that really means and like calibrating for that. Um, so I kind of feel like this is what, like I, I identify what you're saying as a problem for this world right. cup. And it's, and, and the, the, what you noted about them bringing this in seven days before the cup is an egregious error that never should have happened. This is, this is a way too high profile of a sporting event to be, to make changes right before. But long term, I think that there's there's no issue really. These are these are growing pains of a of an increasingly objective uh, game. I would agree. I'm a fan of VAR. Uh, I think mostly what it's done is expose uh, bad rules or badly written rules, uh, and and I think that the changes will be positive, but. It should have been. It this should have been tested in a different setting than uh, than the World Cup. Uh, I think. I yeah. think we're you know sort of on the same page about that. Um, and you know, thinking about, I'm also very much uh, thinking about VAR in this particular moment because of the uh, England Cameroon game that was. Uh, that was the day before the the Spain US game. Yeah, so bring us full circle here. What the fuck went down in that game? Expletives aside, I think that might be a good uh, you know good description. <laughs> so so this was a match between England, who would, was first place in their group against Cameroon, uh, who was third place in their group. Uh, Cameroon uh, with advanced into the knockout rounds literally with the last kick of the game. They were playing against New Zealand. Uh, neither of them had um, neither of the, both of them had been defeated in their first two games, and then they're both trying to get the third place slot. Cameroon was, I would say, the better team. They went up one nothing, and then New Zealand tied the game on a really bad own goal. Uh, it was just sort of like a a hopeful cross into the box. It should have been easily cleared by the Cameroon and defender, and she just shanked it off her shin. Uh, you know, sort of like a one in a million. Uh, it's actually a little uh, Omar Gonzalez-y uh, from U.S. <laughs> yeah, oh from U.S. Trinidad Tobago. It was sort of that kind of uh, that kind of goal. Um, but then uh, there were five minutes of extra time, and literally with the last kick of the game, uh, Cameroon's best offensive player in shoot um, gets the ball, uh, jukes one uh, New Zealand player, um, 
jukes another, puts it on the ground and slots it home. Beautiful goal. Runs over to the sideline. The whole team piles on. Uh, people are in tears. She's in tears. And the game ends. And that is what allows Cameroon to move on. Right. So um, England um, beat Cameroon 3 nothing. Uh, but it was a far more contentious game than that scoreline would suggest. So England goes ahead uh, one nothing uh, when Cameroon is penalized for the keeper picking up a back pass in the first kind of 10, 15 minutes of the game. Uh, and they score off an indirect free kick. Uh, by the way, England should probably uh, thank us for that because in the friendly we played against England, uh, our goalkeeper... Uh, also picked up a back pass and gave uh, England an indirect free kick, which they scored off of. So that was their that was their practice. Yeah. So uh, you know it was a little closer in, but they they got to practice their routine, and it was actually pretty similar. Uh, Cameroon was pretty upset about that call. Uh, I would say that in most games that I've seen, uh, the referee probably would have ignored that that it was maybe technically a back pass. It seemed to me that what happened was the ball came into the Cameroon defender and they kind of uh, settled it with their first touch and were sort of intending to clear it. Um, but then the keeper sort of came out um, and they sort of deferred to the keeper. It wasn't, it wasn't like they deliberately passed the ball backwards, like with their foot under pressure. It was sort of like a settle and there wasn't really anyone around uh, and generally, when I've seen that happen in most games, um, the the referee sort of turns a blind eye. In this case, they called an indirect free kick. Uh, and so Cameroon was upset about that. And then at the very end of the first half, uh, England scored another goal. It was a nice goal. Uh, they uh, sort of threw ball to their striker at the top of the box, who slotted home. Initially... It was disallowed for offsides, but then when they went to video review, um, it was overturned uh, and uh, that the England player was on sides. And from the review, it does appear that it was uh, the correct call. It was very close, um, but, uh, but it appeared that the England striker was on sides. However, the Cameroonian players were very, very upset about it being overturned. And in the aftermath, they, instead of just going up and getting ready to restart the half, they all sort of came together at the center circle. They were all visibly upset. They were all sort of talking. But they were all talking sort of together. And the ref was like, come on, come on, let's let's go. And they kind of refused, right? They were, they were sitting there. They were talking together. Um, and the referee then pulled the, uh, the, Cameroon, the Cameroonian captain aside, spoke to her kind of at length, seemed like he was explaining what was happening. And then the Cameroon captain sort of came back. And there was, they talked for a little longer. And then eventually they went back into their formation and they kicked off. And, you know, within a minute, the whistle was blown for halftime. And there was a, and coming off, there was a lot of emotion. The, the, the refs and the, 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 um, the Cameroonian sideline were yelling a lot at the fourth official, the ref. They were clearly upset. They came in at 2-0 two, two down. Uh, and I realize I'm going into a lot of detail, but 
Um, oh, it's fascinating stuff, Kwame. Paint a picture. Okay. So that's halftime. It's 2-0. Um, you know, the commentators at halftime are like, you know, this is unusual. I've really seen, you know, uh, Cameroon. I've really seen a response like that. They seem like they're on the brink of kind of losing it, getting their, letting their emotions get the better of them. They need to pull it together. So they come back for the second half. And about five, six minutes into it, uh, Cameroon scores. Uh, and it it was a really nice goal. It's sort of the it was a defensive error by the England goalkeeper. Sort of tries to force a pass. It turns into a turnover. Um, there's a Cameroonian player on the left wing that gets the ball, drives, crosses it, and shoots. Who's the player who scored to take Cameroon to the knockout stages? Gets it, and it's a beautiful finish, right? And Cameroon's elated, and uh, you know they they've. Um, you know, they feel like they're back in the game. And I'll also say that even though England were 2-0 up at halftime, Cameroon really uh, troubled them. Uh, They really were a very physical, fast team. Uh, England were not fully in control. Um, I thought that, you know, Cameroon looked like a team that could hurt them. And so England were maybe a little fortunate to be up uh, 2-0. 1-0 might have been favorable. So tides are turning here. Yeah, it seems like the tides are turning 2-1, but then it goes to video review. And after a somewhat lengthy review, uh, the Cameroonian goal is disallowed. And uh, on the replay, uh, so the Cameroonian player who's called offsides, she's way out on the, the Cameroon's left side. She's sort of like the left wing for Cameroon. The ball comes to her. When the, when the ball is played to her, um, she's facing her own goal completely her one of her feet is she's in mid stride so one of her feet is further back than the other and at that like left heel that's probably like two centimeters i don't know maybe it's a, maybe a little longer but but a couple of inches at most uh offside right <laughs> you gotta be you have to be measurement by yeah to yeah really that's you know that's show. just how i roll i'm you know i'm metric <laughs> um you know because this is england and cameroon and you know yeah you know, it's the world cup right so it's the world <laughs> cup we're, we're global here so she's barely barely offsides in any other tournament you would have said you know even onside um most of her body it's just that little it's that little part of her heel so technically correct, but it's ruled out. Cameroon again is incredibly upset. They're, they, they, um, you know, they're over at the sideline. The player who scored is sort of visibly in tears. Like the the coach actually like grabs her and pulls her in, and it's like hugging her and like trying to comfort her and speaking to her ear. Another player is in tears. A lot of the other players are sort of gesticulating. They're saying, "What's what's happening? What's going on?" Uh, and uh, and for a while, there's a lot of there's a lot of commotion. Um, you know, the crowd is whistling, and again, it takes a while for Cameroon to settle in. They are all sort of clustered together on the sideline, um, and again, the referee has to come over to the captain and sort of explain what uh, what happened, what uh, uh, what why she made the ruling that she did. It takes a couple of minutes to do this. While she's doing this, a lot of the Cameroon players are very upset, gesticulating, you know, um, in tears. But eventually the captain for Cameroon comes back, talks to her team by the sideline, explains. 
Um, it's really extorting them, you know, to, you know, not extorting, sorry, exhorting them. Uh, important, uh, important uh, pronunciation Nobody's there. Nobody's getting no extorted. No one's getting extorted. Well, although, uh, you know, that, that's actually perhaps what they were thinking. Um, and, yeah. and they come back in and they really fight and they get pretty close. Actually, a few minutes later, they really actually yeah, should have yeah. scored. But to trace it back, you know, without the, without the VAR uh, weirdnesses, we're looking at a 1-1 scoreline right after halftime. Yeah, and I think that's certainly the case. And so there were a number – part of the reason that I also wanted I'm, – I'm laying this out in such detail – is that there were a lot of comments after the game, both by the Cameroonian side and by the English side. Uh, and, you know, Phil Neville in particular, who was the manager for the English team um, – you know, well known for many years for playing in Manchester United. So someone who's played at a very high level. But after the game, you know, he spoke about how he felt like what he'd seen, he'd never seen anything like that on the football pitch that wasn't football, I think was his quote, uh, that was really disgraceful. And it was a shame that, you know, young girls that were watching that game, um, uh, you know, would see that. And that was a really bad example. And, Uh, And, you know, sort of going on and talking about there's this narrative that, you know, sort of Cameroon was on the verge of kind of refusing to play and were very disrespectful and and physical. And there were some, you know, some tough fouls. Um, But I I, and then the Cameroon team uh, in their post game conference, the players were talking about the fact that they didn't feel like they understood why those calls were overturned or why they were given in the way that they felt that there's a lot of favoritism towards England, um, perhaps a lack of explanation. Um, the uh, Cameroonian coach um, also felt like, you know, the refereeing decisions sort of all went against them. And so the English response or Phil Melville's response and a lot of what you're seeing on Twitter and, you know, again, Twitter with a grain of salt because that's where people often go to be horrible. Twitter with this. It's a beach, a sandbar of salt. Yeah. So I saw the comments and I saw the Twitter response before I actually saw the match. And so after reading those comments, I was expecting, you know, really bad um, responses. I, I was expecting to see Cameroon sort of walking off of the field. Uh, and what I saw was a team uh, responding with unity in a time of great adversity, um, responding to a feeling that they were um, not just playing against England, but against the referees, um, against uh, a certain favoritism, right? And taking their time to really gather their resolve and what the face of what they saw, right. What they, what they, what they thought was happening. Yeah. Get their, get their heads in the game. There's an argument to be had here that they were, that they were doing everything they could to continue the game and, and showed great respect for the game in that they took the time to get their heads right and fucking get back out there. Yeah. I think I, I, I view it that way. I also think that, you know, there is part of what has me so upset about this is that I think that what we're seeing and what we're hearing, right, is that an expectation that people, players are going to respond the proper way to adversity and that proper way being the way that uh, being a very sort of Eurocentric view of how a person should, a team should respond to adversity and yeah. and express emotion on the field, right? And so 
you know, Phil Neville saying like, this is a disgrace and like, you know, it's really horrible and, and people, you know, people, you know, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, part of me is saying, you know, what, what have you been watching kind of all these years? Like, uh, like, did you watch, you know, the world, the men's world cup and the England uh, Columbia game when Columbia thought all the calls were going against them and they were like getting in front of free kicks and berating and surrounding the referee and cursing him out and preventing free kicks from being taken. Uh, like, and, and, you know, you didn't go on and say, that's a disgrace. And, you know, look at all the young boys um, is also, you know, I also think uh, about, you know, in talking about that, this, you know, some of the worst things he's seen on a football pitch. I mean, he is a teammate of Roy Keane who decided to essentially end a person's career because, you know, that person yelled at him one time. Uh, you know, Eric Cantona, he was a teammate of Eric Cantona, you know, who, you know, did a flying kick into the stands. You know, Wayne Rooney, uh, and I hate to just pick on English players, it's not just an English issue, but I'm pissed at Phil <laughs> Neville. Uh, Wayne Rooney gets sent off at a World Cup for, you know, stamping on two Portuguese players in the span of five seconds. The second one, like, he stamps on his groin, like, uh, you know, and, and somehow, but somehow this is a bigger disgrace, right? These these players getting very emotional and responding in a way that you don't think is uh, is respecting the game. I also think that there's a way in which there was probably a language barrier, Uh I think that the the referee I think was Chinese and there uh, and you know and most of the uh, Cameroonian players I think were you know were French speaking and so there definitely was I think long periods of time where um where the Cameroonian players did not fully have an explanation of why particular calls were going against them why certain things were being called and also we have to remember that these calls that are VAR driven are calls that are never that that these players have been playing all their lives and going through great adversity to to you know to play these sports they've never had these calls made against them and then all of a sudden the highest stake situation of the life these are being called the, the equivalent uh to me would be in the nba finals if all of a sudden every travel call was being made by the referees Right. Because we know that traveling happens in the NBA and it's just not called. But all of a sudden, what if you had the referees, you had a video assisted referee looking for travel calls and calling traveling violations in the NBA finals? Right. Like what would the meltdown be by players? It would be off the charts. Right. And that's kind of the equivalent of what's happening here. And so I don't think that you can expect people at the negative end of that not to have really strong responses and maybe those responses aren't what's acceptable uh to to some people but i watching it uh, you know i i didn't have a problem with it i think there were hard fouls that could have been penalized i think that you know you could you could potentially have uh sent uh players off for cameroon but that's a different thing than uh you know than saying that there was something uh you know beyond the pale that they were that they were doing i think the uh the eurocentric thing is really important and i think you you hinted at it but didn't say it so and i'm happy to say it for you if that's men on the field the the opposition to an authority figure does not get called a disgrace Mm -hmm. it gets called passion Mm -hmm. 
you know? So I, I think that that kind of stuff is at play here. Um, and reach out to us on Twitter. Like, look, this is a, this is a discussion uh, both about the VAR and about the behavior of this Cameroonian team. And we are, we're, we're open to, to everyone's, you know, thoughts on it. Uh, without being a dick, like don't be a douchebag, but reach out to us on Twitter at WTP Pod. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on these events and and on how you perceive them watching from home. You know, everyone gets a different broadcast stream. Everyone gets a slight has a slightly different cultural background, and we want to know sort of what this looks like to you um, for sure. If if you have if you have uh, thoughts to share on it, yes, please let us know. I think you know, I I definitely have my own have my own view on it and um you know generally i'm uh, generally i'm a fan of england and english teens but also um you know we talked about this in the 100th episode like you know i'm first generation like you know um african like west african you know my parents are from ghana and uh so um i also tend to be you know someone who roots for uh african sides uh and you know, perhaps that is uh, biasing my view a little bit, but I also, in part, I think I'm so defensive because I feel, in general, um, that when uh, African sides go to these competitions, they often uh, get the short shrift. They often get the reputation for being, you know, um, you know, less uh, less technically skilled and and more, you know, and more really physical and. And sometimes I think that that has uh, negative repercussions. But again, you know, I could be wrong. And certainly there was a lot of there was a lot of controversy. Certainly it was unusual. Well, yeah. And I, I, I disagree with you. I don't I don't think you can be wrong about your perception of this game. You know, I think other people, you know, everyone's entitled to their position. Sounds like Phil Neville's got a pretty clear one. Um, and, and that's, that's fine. Good on him. But, you know, I, I would, I would really strongly enforce that you are, you can't be wrong about the way you perceive this and you're coming at this from, uh, you know, from your own perspective that that's like valuable and shit like that. You feel me? I, I feel you. Yes. And, uh, yes. And rant <laughs> over, although I'm sure I'll have, I'm sure I'll have other, other rants. More rants to come, folks. Uh, it's, it's been a real exciting round of 16. We are, we are on a crash course for USA versus France. It's the game everyone's been waiting for. And, uh, it's, it's going to be a cracker. Happens on Friday. By the way, between now and then on this pod, there will be uh, coverage of the men's national team playing in the Gold Cup. So this whole thing is uh, really turning out to be quite a lot of work for me, which is why these these uh, eps are just about 24 hours late right at the moment. But we'll get right back on track in time for France, and uh, we, we couldn't be more excited for it. Thanks, y'all, uh, for joining us for another epic pod. Kwame, thank you. Thank you for being here with me for this uh, journey. Thank you for having me and giving me a, a soapbox. Oh, you got it. You got it. Anytime. We'll have a, a little shorty preview of the France game um, during our, our next uh, USMNT pod. As per usual, uh, I quite like it when you sign a year lease. I just signed a year lease today in my place. I love my place, and that lease is signed, and it's always more complicated than you think it will be to get that thing completed, uh, but you get there, and then you're done. I also like it a lot when uh, I tie my shoes uh, in different ways, left and right. 
You know, there are all kinds of ways. There are literally thousands of ways to tie a knot. That bow tie gets way too much play out there. Um, and, uh, or the, the bunny ears, I should say. The bow tie doesn't get enough play. Um, and uh, lastly, I like, uh, I like using my passport as an ID, even when it's way uh, not necessary, like uh, at, a, at a bar or when someone wants to check my ticket to a play at will call. That's a, that's a fun time. That seems very high risk, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an adrenaline junkie, bro. Uh, so yeah, I, I do like those things. I do, honestly. But I just don't love any of them as much as I love the Nats. We love them. Let's go, USA France. Let's go! It's we the people. It's we the people. It's we the people.